fall is upon us. Labor Day in the rear view mirror. And you know a company's going to help out your property this year better than any other. Steel, S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com, more than 10,000 in the country. So there's one right around the corner from you. And steelusa.com. And they have so many products. Some that I'm going to highlight today because they're on sale. How about $30 off right now for the Garden Pruner, the GTA 26. It's a great tool for any platform, and uh, it is on sale right now. Also, the BGA 57 battery-powered blower that'll clean up anything. You need a pressure washer? They got sales going on pressure washers right now as well. And uh, if gas is your thing, free chainsaw case, chain and hat after purchase of an MS-261 or an MS-271. Chainsaws galore. Got to check it out. Again, go to SteelUSA.com to see all of the wonderful products and the wonderful deals to get you rolling this autumn. S-T-H-L, SteelUSA.com. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, Rockies newcomer Hunter Goodman, no relation, learns that he belongs at the big league level. There's been a few moments where I felt like, okay, you can like you can do it. You can you can play at this level. Obviously that first game I had a good game and I think that gave me some good confidence going forward for that next week or two. Turning the temperature down after the Rocky Mountain showdown. I forgive him. Uh, my team forgive him. Uh, Travis is, he's forgiving him. Let's move on. And after an 0-2 Broncos start, where to point the finger? Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell your friends who root for CSU. Come on, we're all friends here. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Picked up. Real estate ahead. Shiloh showing him the shoe bottoms. Touchdown. All right, folks, welcome in to show number 220. Glad, as always, that you are along with us. What a game. What an evening in Boulder, Colorado, Colorado State, which, by the way, largest audience, as I understand, of the season, of the college football season. I'm just talking about CU because they're getting huge numbers every week. Uh, But largest in college football this year. And I read where the fifth largest regular season college football game ever in terms of views, I think it peaked over 11 million viewers and uh, it averaged like 9.2, 9.3 million. And think about this, the game ended, as we all know, after midnight here in the mountain time zone, which means back east, which is heavily populated, you had to lose a ton of people in the second half. I mean, it ended after two in the morning. And I know it was a flag-filled fiesta, and I know that it wasn't pretty because of the flags in many instances, and I know there were some personal fouls and and questionable hits, um, probably on both sides, but it seemed more so definitely on Colorado State's side. We'll get to that uh, in a moment. But at the end of the day, it was a hell of a football game because it was the intensity was off the charts. Sitting at home after coming home from the Rockies game, the intensity permeating through the television was palpable. And 
I have to start out here. I was shocked because privately, I thought Colorado State was going to get boat raced. I really did. Because when I watched them play Washington State, and Washington State evidently is a pretty good football team. They've beaten Wisconsin now. They're unbeaten. But when I watched them play, I still thought they were a step slow. I thought their offensive line didn't hold up and protect the quarterback, Clay Million, at that point. Obviously, they've made a change of quarterback since the opener. And I'm like, they're not going to match up with, with University of Colorado based on what we've seen so far, especially their speed. And I was flabbergasted, and I'm sure you were too, in that re- remove the, the flag element for a moment. All right, let's remove that for a moment. In terms of playing the game of football, Colorado State for three and a half quarters really outplayed Colorado. They outgained them at one point. It was 400 and something to 200 and something. They were the more physical team up front. You could make that argument probably on both sides of the football. They ran to the ball defensively better than Nebraska did, uh, though Nebraska, I thought, early on was pretty good, especially in the first half. Certainly better than TCU did, who ended up giving up 45 points. I was shocked. It's the best I've seen Colorado State play football in years. Now, going forward for CSU, the challenge will be, can they take that level of effort and that level of performance and uh, do it against a Middle Tennessee State? who's a pretty good football team. They, they came to Fort Collins last year and won. And can they do it inside the Mountain West, where there's going to be some challenges, Wyoming typically, obviously, uh, Air Force, uh, San Diego State. There's Chown Boise State, clearly. Uh, but can they put that forward and finally you know, win six, seven football games and, and not make this a, a one-off in terms of effort? Um, Colorado found a way. And that's what champions do. That's what great football teams do. They found a way to win at the end. A 98-yard drive, which had everybody comparing it naturally to the famous Elway drive against the Browns. Uh, You know, I keep coming away with the same thing on on Shadour. Shadour is a great player. Shadour is an accurate thrower of the football. He's poised. He always seems to make the right decision with the ball. The one pick he has this year um, wasn't a badly thrown ball, and it was kind of a jump ball, and it ended up uh, in uh, Henry Blackburn's hands. It was hard to distinguish right away. This guy knows where he's going with the football. I also thought he did a better job this week of, if there's nothing there, tucking it down and looking to run. Um, I felt last week, and I said it on the podcast, that he needed to do that a little bit more. Use his feet. He has good feet. And um, so you got to give Colorado a lot of credit. The flag situation. And, and let's start with the late hit, Henry Blackburn on Travis Hunter. It was late. He was coming across the field. I think they were at that point in, in a form of cover one. And uh, he came across and he, uh, you know, he, he chose to take the body. In a violent sport, if you played at any level, especially in a, in a rivalry type of game, there's a whole lot of extracurricular going on. And most of it, understand this, and you'll get it if you play it a little bit, most of it people don't see in sideline play, um, you know, in, you know, when, when as a guy's going down, there's stuff that happens, believe me. And 
this was this was a this was a late hit. Now it wasn't to the head. It wasn't him leading with the crown of the helmet. It was unfortunate. Um, it deserved a penalty. It deserved, and it should have been reviewed. You know, for a form of targeting. There's no question about that. All the bullshit after, in terms of there, you know, there's always you know isolated idiots and these these death threats, and I terrible. I mean, I don't even need to say that. We know anybody, I hope, who's listening to this podcast is of sane mind and realizes there's no place for any of that crap. I like that Dion came out. I think it was Tuesday early in his press conference. He did the right thing. Henry Blackburn, I want you guys to record this and run with this. Uh, Henry Blackburn is a good player who played a phenomenal game. He made a tremendous uh, hit on Travis on the sideline. You could call it dirty. You could call it he was just playing the game of football. But whatever it was, it does not constitute that he should be receiving death threats. This is still a young man trying to make it in life, a guy that's trying to live his dream and hopefully graduate with honors or degree, uh, committed to excellence, and go to the NFL. He does not deserve a death threat over a game. At the end of the day, this is a game. Someone must win, someone must lose. Everybody continues their life the next day. Very unfortunate. I'm saddened if there's any of our fans that's on the other side of those threats. I would hope and pray not. But that kid was just playing the best of his ability, and he made a mistake. So I forgive him, see you. Um, our team forgive him. Um, Travis is, he's forgiven him. Let's move on. But that kid does not deserve that. You know, it's interesting watching and looking at all of what has been said and written from social media to programming to supporters of Colorado, supporters of Colorado State. You know, you can pretty much divide it down the middle. And wherever the allegiance lies, you're going to get thoughts on that hit in particular um, that is, you know, tainted, not not necessarily objective. Henry Blackburn, like Coach Dion said, is a good football player. And Dion's played a ton of football. And he knows that there are things that happen that people probably in retrospect wouldn't do. He gets it. But he also gets the nature of the game of football and how emotionally charged this particular game was. From Jay Norvell's standpoint, going back to the lead up to this game, I know he came out after the controversy and said he was trying to you know, fire up his team and he was talking to his team. I think there's some truth in that. And I, thought, I also think most of it lied in he was tired of being asked about and hearing about everything that's going on south of Fort Collins in Boulder. And if you're a football coach and you're in the same state and you're getting ready to play that team, you can see walking in his shoes where you'd be over it. And so maybe some of that frustration eked out. Um, at the end of the day, Colorado's 3-0. and Colorado's getting ready for Oregon. Uh, unfortunately, they're going to play without Travis Hunter for a few weeks. I wish him the absolute best. Great player. And um, 
Colorado, I think, is deep enough in the secondary and deep enough at the wide receiver spot that though you don't want to play without him, um, even if an injury happened in the course of the game that was not controversial, we know that's going to take place. But I think they have the depth on both sides where they can overcome that. Not that they don't want to play with Travis Hunter or not that they're going to be compromised, not be compromised. They certainly are. But I think they can, I think they're going to give Oregon all they want. Um, SC, and we'll get to SC next week. SC, I think it may be even more physical um, up front than Oregon. That remains to be seen, which could be problematic. But the Buffs are 3 0, and nobody had them 3 0. Nobody had them 3 0, probably outside of their locker room. So good for them. And good for the fact that people can't get enough of what's going on in Boulder. Ultimately, if you love sports and you love college football, um, you gotta you gotta appreciate what's happening up there. As for Colorado State, they got to play on a huge stage, not because they <laughs> were the focus point, they weren't, but they became interesting. They became intriguing. For those that thought that they were gonna, you know, watch a University of Colorado bloodbath over a rival that most people outside of this region know nothing about, they found out that Colorado State has some really good players and was in position, really good position, to win that football game up 11 in the fourth quarter. They didn't get it done ultimately, but people came away and and they looked at, uh, you know, Troy Horton and said, man, that guy's an NFL player. They looked at, uh, you know, the kid on the defensive line who had the um, aggressive hit late in the game on Shador and said, that guy may be an NFL player. And you look around and say, wow, Colorado State's got some good players. So what Colorado State does with this, once again, going forward, is on them. It can't be a near miss and they just go off into oblivion and they win three or four football games again. They have to take that effort, that performance, and clearly their talent is better than a year ago. They, they would have no chance against a 23 version of Colorado with the 22 team they had. So now they have to go win a bunch of football games the rest of the way. And then that will help them in the portal. It'll help them with 17 and 18 year old kids who are looking for um, a high quality program. They needed that, and I've said this many times, they needed that a half a dozen years ago. There was a great piece, uh, I think Sean Keeler did it, in the Denver Post where talking about how, kind of what I was saying, that that Colorado State missed the boat when they put together uh, the great facilities and Canvas Stadium and Power 5 facilities, and they wanted that invitation badly. But the one thing they didn't take care of was business on the field. Even though they had good players, Mike Bobo didn't win enough. we know what happened after Mike Bobo. That was a disaster. And the teams that have moved up from group of five into a power five conference are schools that were holding their own when they had the opportunity on the field to play power five schools. Colorado State didn't do that. They had about one win against a power five school over the last half dozen years. And I think that was against Arkansas at home. Other than that, they weren't winning games. So all of the appealing aspects at Colorado State, the great stadium, the proximity to a major market in Denver, good school, all of those things, 
got lost because the number one thing that these other conferences run by television are looking at is, do you win at a high level? If Boise State wasn't in Boise, Idaho, and they were in Fort Collins, they would, it was slam dunk, they would have been grabbed up by another Power Five conference. So Colorado State, they have nobody to blame but themselves for not winning enough games. Now, it's a new launching pad, it's year two of Jay Norvell, and I'll stand by something I put out on social media. Jay Norvell is a good guy. Jay Norvell is inside the fraternity of coaches well-respected. And I don't believe, I'm not privy, I don't think he went out and, and did a uh, Sean Payton from years ago and there was a bounty out on, on every Colorado player's head. Do I think he got him riled up? Absolutely. But you know what? You have the wrong guys in the locker room. If, you, if, if on both sides, you weren't riled up to play that football game on Saturday. And a lot of these kids from different parts of the country for both schools, they learned that, yeah, outs, you know, we, we focus so much on Michigan and Ohio State and Florida and Georgia and USC and UCLA and the known national rivalries. Guess what? Colorado, Colorado State in our region, pretty damn good rivalry. Can't get a more intense football game than what you witnessed on uh, on Saturday night. So again, best of luck with the Buffs this week going to Eugene, and uh, they learned a lot about themselves. Not just because they were able to come back, um, but the the intensity that it's going to take to win against not only rivals but against other top twenty type of programs, and that's coming up the next couple of weeks. Be remiss if I didn't talk about the Broncos for a moment. Let me let me make one quick statement. For all those who want to trash Russell Wilson, he has been better this year. And you were hoping he would be better. And I think people who are logical about this were hoping that Russell would be good enough with a good defense to win more football games than they lost. I think people who looked at it logically, wrote that and stated that, as opposed to Russell Wilson revisiting when he was a, an MVP caliber quarterback. That maybe that wasn't necessary, but just don't beat the team that you play for. And really, he has not done that. Played a great first half. One thing I want to point out in bold letters, I'm taking away that last touchdown because that's a fluke. It's a 50-yard Hail Mary. It gets tipped around and it, and it turned into an you know a miraculous play but i want to remove it for a moment for the sake of this argument that made it 33 for the broncos and obviously they needed a two-point conversion there was interference it wasn't called and the broncos lose 35 33 but prior to the hail mary they had 27 points if you have 27 points in the national football league you ought to win you ought to win 90% of your football games. If you have 27 points and you have this celebrated defense that the Broncos have had, you definitely ought to win. I know when a team that you love loses, you want to find a scapegoat. You're angry. You're pissed off. And the most natural subject when that happens is the quarterback. He was great in the first half, wasn't as good in the second half. That's why we lost. Broncos defense gave up 35 points. 
You scored 27 before the Hail Mary. You got to win that game. And now you've lost to two decidedly mediocre teams at home. And then the conversation in the immediate aftermath of the game in the ensuing days was about getting plays in quicker. Isn't that something that you discover during preseason, during camp? And this is not in adverse conditions. This is in your own backyard. So you're not dealing with crowd noise where you see the quarterback, you know, covering his ears so he can try to hear the play coming in. And if the play has exceptionally long verbiage, it should be on your wristband. And when you have a veteran coaching staff and a veteran play caller and a veteran head coach like Sean Payton, shouldn't come down to a couple weeks in saying, hey, we got to figure out a way to get the plays in faster. That's the same shit that he hung on Nathaniel Hackett in ripping Nathaniel Hackett, a guy he didn't know, and was doing that after watching all of the tapes from last year. And now you're in the, the, the same boat. It's a bad look. It's a bad look. And now you are going to Miami to play the Dolphins. I hope there there is some miraculous turnaround in there, but this this is is not pretty. And one other note about the NFL, I've said this before and you know this to be true. The margin of victory in the NFL, it's not like college. It's not like Georgia, you know, playing Western Kentucky in a non-conference game. Western Kentucky has no shot at beating Georgia. It, it's nothing like that. Every team, even the teams that that you don't give a lot of credit to, in the NFL, they have professional football players. Yeah, you'll have your occasional blowout. The Cowboys are blowing people out right now. They look really good. But by and large, the games are going to be close. They are. And you got to find a way to get over the hump in those close games. Quickly turning to baseball, and before we talk uh, some Rocky stuff, the Angels Shohei Otani cleaned out his locker, which is a little unusual for a player to completely clean out their locker before the season's over. He's not going to play anymore um, this year because of injury, uh, and he's going to go have, have to have Tommy John. We understand that. But the fact that he cleaned out his locker, not a good sign for uh, the Los Angeles Angels. Now, before everyone criticizes the Angels and, and throws them under the, uh, the bus because they've never been able to make the postseason, uh, in years with Mike Trout and since he joined forces with the ridiculous Shohei Otani. You have to give the Angels credit, though, because they did go for it. And if you're an Angel fan, they did exactly what you wanted. They made a bunch of moves at the deadline. They did everything possible to put the best team around Otani. Trout's been hurt. He's been hurt a lot the last few years, to be honest. They went for it. And had they actually worked it so they were in position to make the postseason here down the stretch and did so, maybe they'd be in a better position to keep Shohei. Now it looks like he's going to move on. Uh, I, 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 My guess is, it's just a guess, it's an educated one, is that he's going to move up the road to Los Angeles and be with the Dodgers. Dodgers have the money to do it. He doesn't have to move. What he wants to do is win. The Dodgers win every year. Every year. And this year, where they've been decimated with injuries in their pitching staff, they still have won. They won the division in a walk over the disappointing San Diego Padres and over the upstart Arizona 
uh, Diamondbacks and the somewhat surprising San Francisco Giants. So Shohei will move on and the Angels then will have to figure out, you know, how to truly rebuild. And do they keep Mike Trout going forward? It's a big contract to move, especially for a guy, unfortunately, as great as he is, he's now 30 plus and he has missed a lot of games the last few years. That's just the facts. Rockies put together their first five-game winning streak of the year. Did a lot of damage to the Cubs' hopes of the postseason. Did a lot of damage to the Giants' hopes of the postseason. I'm going to keep this simple in that we know by record the Rockies are not a good team. They have an ERA close to six. They are hit and miss somewhat offensively. They still have to hit the ball over the wall more. All the things that you know about them. But I have to tell you what. It is so far more enjoyable these last several weeks, second half really, but but especially of late, even as the season winds down. People ask me all the time, hey, bet you can't wait till it's over. I'm enjoying this because I'm watching guys who play with great energy, who are young, who have a lot of promise, and you start to see some of the pieces that could provide the answers for the Rockies to be a team in contention down the road. Now, where that is down the road, is it two years from now, three years? Hopefully it's shorter, naturally, but I'm having fun watching the Joneses, the Doyles, the Tovars, because guess what? Even though we've talked a lot about them this year, they're continually getting better, and they're playing with profound energy each night, and that's why they're able to put a five-game winning streak together. That's why, even though as we tape this, the last two ball games they were down nine nothing on Sunday at home and almost won, fell eleven ten to the Giants as the Giants salvaged one out of four, and then last night in San Diego they were down eleven to three and came storming back and had the go-ahead run on base in the ninth, and it was 11-9, and, and Josh Hader had to be summoned in a game that there's no way Bob Melvin thought he was going to have to use his closer. And that's because they just keep playing, and it's been awesome to see. The kids, plus Charlie Blackman, who's 37, but he's dipped his toes in the fountain of youth. He's been terrific. He has been terrific uh, of late. One of the other guys that I purposely did not mention who's playing with a lot of energy and is providing uh, a bunch of offense. He's got uh, a habit of driving in runs just like he did uh, in the minor leagues and just like he did collegiately. He's the subject this week of uh, our interview. Hunter Goodman out of the University of Memphis. I wish I could literally claim him as a relation. For those that are wondering, he is not. Though, may have to inquire about uh, where some of his relatives were from in the past. Anyhow, this week's uh, interview, the Rockies' young right fielder, first baseman, guy who can play a lot of places, came up as a catcher, Hunter Goodman. So how much fun are you having? Um, it's hard to explain. I mean, it's a, it's an awesome opportunity to be obviously playing in the big leagues, and it's it's been a blast so far. Um, it's hard to put to words because you know you dream of it your whole life, and you you finally get there, and it's just you just got to try and enjoy it the best you can. Whatever the dream was, and whatever you knew from teammates that had been in the big leagues or gotten called up and then explained to you what the experience was is it different or or is it still so new you're like wow um i'd say i'd say the 
things that I've heard from different guys is uh, it's pretty similar to that, but it's definitely still new. Still like going to different parks and um, playing different teams, doing all the different things. It's uh, it's still kind of a shell shock sometimes. I've talked to a number of your teammates who have also made their uh, their debut, if you will, this year. Is there one thing where you go, man? This this part's really cool. Um, I'd say just just playing the game um, at this level. It's cool to see guy uh, like all these guys you watch on TV every day playing against those guys. Um, playing in front of a bunch of fans, the stadiums are really cool. I'd say like just that stuff's it's really awesome. I've said this on the air a couple of times. You looked from day one in Baltimore undaunted. I'm sure there were nerves. Now they're, they're natural. But you acted like you belonged, particularly at the plate, which, which has always been a strength for you. Did you feel that, or, or, um, or is it just, hey, it was masked well? Uh, I, I feel like a little bit of both. Um, I just tried to go up there and take my same approach because it's been working for me. And... Um, but yeah, there was definitely nerves up under the up under the surface. I was definitely nervous. I think the biggest thing was my first at bat. I put a good swing on a pitch, and um, I think after that I was good to go. The first at bat, I was a little nervous. Well, your first at bat. I want to talk to you about that because your first at bat, we almost got out of our chair in the booth. At what point did you think I got it? That's a homer in my first big league at bat. And at what point did you say, Oh man? Uh, well, when I hit it, I knew I hit it pretty well. Um, I didn't think I got all of it, but I thought it had a chance. So I was running to first. I was watching it like, wow, this is like I thought it. I was like, this would be crazy if it went out. And he ended up catching it, but um, I didn't get. I, I felt okay about. it. I felt like I put a good swing, and I was like, that's a good first at bat. I feel like it was um, good leading into the rest of the game to have uh, a good at bat um, that first that first at bat. Yeah, and then you were a couple weeks into your big league career. You still were without a home run, though. You were piling up hits and RBIs and doing what you've done throughout your career, going back to college. I'm sure going back to high school, you've always produced runs. Where you think when the ball went out in left center at home, I saw your reaction between first and second. You kind of like pounded your hands together. It was almost as if you were saying, finally, I got that off the, the checklist. And this ball driven deep left center field. It is gone. First career home run for Hunter Goodman. What was going through your mind? Um, well, honestly, when I hit it, I didn't think I hit it high enough. I thought it was like going to be one of those line drives in the gap for a double or, or triple or whatever. Um but when I saw it go out, yeah, it was like um, I was honestly I was just really excited to get to hit the first one. Good for Goodman. Yeah, there's a little burden because um, as much as you try not to think about it and try not to um, do too much and get it out of the way, you're you're gonna think about it at some point. I feel like so. Um, yeah, it was nice getting that one. Do you look at yourself as a power hitter? Do you look at yourself as a gap to gap hitter, a line drive hitter? How do you describe yourself? Um. I would say a little bit of all of it. I wouldn't say I'm just strictly a power hitter. I'd say I'm I'm a pow- I'm like a mix of a power hitter and a gap to gap guy because I feel like I I feel like I hit the gaps pretty well. And then obviously I've hit a lot of home runs so far in my minor league career. 
So I feel like you could you could say a little bit of both. Did you have a chip on your shoulder at all? You went in the fourth round, which is great. I mean, you out of Memphis, but you put up prodigious numbers in college. I mean, from the moment you got to Memphis, you were a freshman All-American, then you were uh, a regular All-American. You feel like, hey, man, I'm a first-round talent. Um, I mean, yeah, there's a little bit of that, um, but I also knew there's some there's some things that I did in college I needed to clean up and um, defensively and offensively, and um, so I feel like I feel like it really just I just needed to put my head down and get to work and. Um, do th- just start preparing and getting better at those things I need to get better at. Hunter, I believe there's a knack to driving in runs, and I know with the modern analytics, some people would argue that RBIs are a function of where you hit in the lineup, but I, I personally don't believe that. You've always been a guy that have found a way. If there's guys on base, you typically bring them around. Is that how you look at it? Is you, have you always had that knack, if you will? Um, I'd say I'd say yeah, um, I think a little bit of it can be sometimes the lineup um, with different guys getting on base in front of you. But um, I just think, uh, without even thinking about it, I think you just—I have just a better focus, and I'm a little more locked in with guys on base. Um, not really on purpose, but I think it just brings it out of out of certain guys. But um, yeah, I enjoy hitting with guys on base a lot. I know it's early in your career, but have you had a moment where you feel like, hey, I know I belong. I know I'm playing in the right league, and I know I can thrive here. Um, yeah, there's been there's been a few moments where I felt like, okay, you can like you can do it. You can you can play at this level. Um, obviously, that first game I had a good game, and I think that gave me some good confidence going forward for that next week or two. And then there, I mean, there's been some humbling moments too, but I think I've. Uh, I've taken it all well, and I'm trying to just um, have confidence out there and keep playing. We talk about the difference between, you know, Triple A in the big leagues, Double A in the big leagues, uh, all the time, and what we do on, on television. Now that you've been up here for a little bit, what is the biggest difference day to day at bat to at bat? Um, I just say the stuff, the the pitches are better, and then they also they they execute a lot better. Um, Whereas in double A AA and triple A, you might get two mistakes in at bat. You might go a whole day up here and not get a mistake. You got to hit a really good pitcher's pitch. So, like, I think that's just the biggest thing is when they do make those few mistakes, you got to really be on top of your game and be ready to hit when they make that mistake because you probably won't get another one. So, um, I think that's the biggest difference I've seen so far is just the stuff and the ability to make um, quality pitches and not miss very much. What have you noticed watching a guy like Charlie Blackman? Just he's just a pure hitter. It's it's honestly crazy to watch some of the swings he so he, he gets the job done. I mean he he'll take swings and you you look and you're like, how did he just hit that into left field for a base hit? Like nasty pitch and then a little swing just pokes it. Yeah, I mean it's it's been unreal to, to watch how he works, and he's very diligent in his work and how he takes care of his body. So, yeah, it's been a very, very fun to watch that. Who's given you the best piece of advice since you've arrived? Um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I've gotten pretty good advice from everybody. Um, but um, just people coming up and saying that, like, hey, like, just go do your thing. Like, you belong. Trust what you do. Um, and I, I've heard that from a bunch of people, and I think that's helped a lot, just instilling confidence in me. So, 
think that's probably it. When someone like myself asks, okay, what, what's your primary position? Or if somebody were to come up on the street and say, hey, you're a big leaguer, man. What, what position do you play? How do you answer that? Man. If you'd asked me when I, after like my first week, I would have said I'd play first base. If you asked me after this these past week and a half, I'd say right field. Um, I don't know. I just, I guess just the, a ball player. I don't know. I try to. I'm trying to be as proficient as I can at first and in right, and then also trying to work on staying at being able to catch if I'm needed back there at some point. So um, I don't know. I guess just ball player. I don't know. Yeah. Where are you most comfortable defensively? I'd say if I'm doing it consistently behind the plate, just because that's I've done that most of my life. So, um, but right now I'd say first base. I've played it more. I've got more innings under my belt the last two years, and then I put. I'd say I'd say outfield's um, probably the last one. But I feel like every game I get a little more comfortable out there. Yeah. What point growing up did you did you uh, look at yourself and say, hey, I can play? you know, major college baseball or, or Division One baseball at some level. And how did you arrive at, at Memphis, which is, you know, more or less hometown school? Um, I'd say probably like middle school I was playing and pretty good and um, playing travel ball with different guys and noticing like guys who can play and guys who are, who are okay. I mean, nothing wrong with that, but um, I'd say around middle school and then um, – going to Memphis was it was more or less I, I wanted the opportunity to come in and play right away as a freshman and I felt like that school was one of the best opportunities to go in and play because I've had buddies go to bigger schools and maybe not get to play till their junior year and um, I feel like I'd, I'd, I really wanted to go and play right away and keep playing because um, nobody likes to sit at the bench obviously um, and I feel like to get to the next level, if you're good enough, they'll find you. So it doesn't matter where you go to school. Yeah, it's a, it's a, a wise move because so many people get caught up, especially you living in, in more or less SEC country and, and somewhat on the fringes of, of Big Ten country. Did you at all think, man, I, I, you know, I got to go to the University of Tennessee or I got to go to Arkansas? No, I never really, uh, I never really thought about it that way. Um, my dad really helped me too. Just constantly letting me know like hey man like there's been a lot of good big leaguers and a lot of guys drafted high out of like small schools because like if you play well and they're gonna take guys if you play if they play well it doesn't matter where you're from if you can play you can play so um him kind of instilling that in me and then um yeah just the ability to go in and start as a freshman i think has helped me and so many different ways so yeah good for you now growing up in memphis who was your team and, and who were your guys that you uh that, that you really liked to watch emulated yourself after or just were big fans of um my team was the cardinals they were like the closest one like five six hours away and then um growing up i loved Pujols and yachty and those guys and then um as i got a little older and my swing was changing i watched a lot of Donaldson and Justin Turner because they had similar loads and stuff like that so those are some of the guys I grew up watching a lot we've talked about that did you gravitate toward those guys and kind of emulate their swing or did you notice hey you know what my lift and you know an aggressive step if you will looks a lot like those guys which came first um 
I'd say I'd say my um, my swing was already pretty similar, um, and I had a similar load and stuff like that. And I think I just gravitated towards them because, like, I feel like for me personally, I'm never trying to like swing exactly like somebody because I think like you got to do what works for you. But you can always learn little things from different people that you see, like in. My leg kick might be a little more like Donaldson, but my hands might move a little more like Turner. Like, you can find stuff like that to where you can mix and match and find what works best for you. So, Real quick, last weekend uh, there were the Blake Street Bombers back. Did you have to do some quick homework on, on who those guys were and what they accomplished? Um, a little bit because um, that you weren't was, born yeah, yet. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was before I was born. So, um, But, yeah, I mean, obviously – being with the Rockies you hear about those guys and all the amazing years they had together and it's really cool to have to have had guys like that and all of them on the same team all of them ranked obviously so that that had to be an awesome time absolutely all right last thing you know I you know every time you do something well I I claim even though we're not relatives I get that a lot but you know you are my nephew when you uh, hit a double in the gap with uh, two ribs yeah that's that's awesome I mean I'll take it I mean I do well all the time, hopefully. Good deal. Hey, Hunter, keep it going, man, uh, and and keep enjoying what you're doing, and most importantly, uh, continued success and stay healthy. I appreciate it. Thank you. Big thanks to Hunter Goodman. He's going to hit. He can hit. He can drive in runs, as I've said many times uh, since he's come up. He's done it at every level. And uh, he acts and feels like he belongs, like he knows he's in the right league. And, you know, there's, there's going to be some growing pains. There's going to be some, some punch outs. You're facing the best pitchers in the world. Uh, he struggled uh, after this uh, podcast, as did everyone, against Blake Snell. Uh, we fast forward a day from uh, when we started. Uh, but uh, Blake Snell's seven no-hit innings, and the Rockies end up breaking it up in the ninth in a 0-0 game. Brendan Rodgers gets a hit off of, uh, wasn't hit that hard, but he got a, he hit it in the right place up the middle against uh, Josh Hader. And then with two outs in the bottom of the ninth, Xander Bogarts hits a walk-off uh, two-run home run. Uh, I've said it uh, on this podcast earlier, and I'll say it again before the end of the year. Watching these young guys um, is fun. It's entertaining. And it also, for fans, it it gives you hope because there's some guys that are going to be part of the solution. And uh, the energy that emanates from that dugout uh, each night here over the last uh, couple of months uh, is palpable. And um, I'm enjoying it, even though obviously there's going to be a whole bunch of losses when when the whole thing uh, is done. That was a fun ball game uh, last night. Unfortunately, the Rockies uh, lost it. Um, so we move on, but again, big thanks to Hunter Goodman. He's going to hit, uh, I, it'll be interesting how they use him going forward, particularly next year. You know, you may see some starts in right start here and there at first base. Maybe he gets to the point where you can put him behind the plate once in a while as well. And, and obviously the DH spot, uh, is always, uh, available as well. Next weekend, uh, Colorado, we talked about, goes to Oregon. That'll be interesting. Colorado State, for those that will continue to uh, look in on them, they'll be at Middle Tennessee State, and the Broncos down in Miami to take on an explosive uh, Dolphin team. 
lot to do next week, and in seven days, we'll wrap up what we saw over the weekend. It'll be the final week of the baseball season as well. Hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate you. Take care, stay well, and we'll do it again in seven days. 